Welcome everyone to Northview Extra Podcast, episode number 213. This is Darcy, your host for today and uh, also the producer. And that's, uh, well, I guess nobody knows how late we are in recording this, but it took us, <laughs> when I say us, I mean me not being able to figure out the new GarageBand program. Uh, but anyway, here we are, ready to record, and we actually gave Did Ezra... Did you say Garage Band? Garage? Garage? Okay, it's Garage Band. Garage? Garage. Yeah, but you're from the States. The roof. Would you say Garage or would you... Garage. I'll Are say you... it, just, it was funny hearing it in with Garage Band. That <laughs> garage? garage Band. I would, guess, I would just say Garage we Band. Say How garage. would you say Garage, garage, garage. Uh, garage Band. <laughs> garage. No, I don't know. <laughs> we say Garage. Garage Band. Go park your car in the Garage. Not the Garage. Or the roof. Or the puff. I don't do the roof one. Do you say Chesterfield or Couch? Couch for sure. Couch. Couch. Do you say Chesterfield? Do you say boots or boots? Boots. <laughs> no, the, the one roof. though that gets Talk me about gad. is there's just different words for things, such as a garburetor. Sounds ridiculous to me. It's a garbage disposal. Hmm. Unit. Unit. <laughs> That's too many words. Garburetor. <laughs> and then uh, the decal, decal one. But who you know say, the one who that, says decal. I, I say you say, say decal. Oh yeah, man. I got decal sounds weird time. to me. I asked for some. I collect stickers or decals, and I was at a, a surf shop. Well, I hang on, some, I got some stickers. We're taking to Thailand for the kids. You want some? Yeah, <laughs> that help your, Yeah, <laughs> cool. I was collecting them. I said, "Do you guys got have any decals?" I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, like decals. Guys, I think he wants decals. <laughs> he says it, decal. Where that was this? Funny. This is down in Bellingham. It's in but Bellingham. Yeah. yeah. You know the one that threw me for a loop, and it's kind of funny because you'll hear Jeff use this a one. A loop or a loop? A, a loop. <laughs> is uh, illustrative versus illustrative. Yeah. Mm. That is... Who says illustrative? Uh, in the States, illustrative. Whoa. And, uh, that one, that one really threw me the yeah, first time I realized. I, bet, I, I said that. illustrative about something. They're like, uh, "What?" I've heard illustrious, but that's a different word. Yeah. <laughs> Not thanks, for that, Andrew. <laughs> thanks, thanks, well, for Andrew that. is here to bring his bit of wisdom <laughs> yeah. to us, and Andy's here. Good to be here. Great morning, and Greg is here. Hi. And uh, yeah, we don't have any interns mm. here. Greg, what's going on? Like, what happened? It's July, Darcy. We ah, fired them all. This they're is, gone. This is the season when all of the interns, many former interns still here. Yeah. But no well, current one, interns. Well, two sitting yeah, yeah. in this room right yeah, now. Exactly. So It's like our alumni gone. appreciation. So this is yeah. like the time of year when we can just relax and breathe, totally. e- breathe easy. There's yeah, no have, interns. We have people watching our every move, every minute of the day. Now, it's speaking like of watching <laughs> every move, uh, just... As we went to live record, yeah. Andy was looking in your mouth <laughs> with, 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 with a flashlight. A, with a flashlight from my from my phone. So what? Like what was, what was with that? I'm I, actually a doc. I play a doctor now. Actually, <laughs> it's a new role I do here at Northview. Right. So I was telling Andy that these last it's been I don't know six seven days. I, it's been super uncomfortable to eat or drink because I have a canker sore. Right on, you know, like that hangy ball thing in your mouth? The dangly ah, ball in the back it's, of your mouth. It's right What's on that it. What's called again? I think it's called your uvula? Uvula? Yeah. I have I no idea. Right. Everybody's looking at me. I have no idea. <laughs> I, only, the I only play a doctor. actually. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever it is, like the, 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 the thing that dangles from the top of your mouth in your throat. That sore. I have no idea what the purpose of it is. No, other than to obviously get Attract canker sores. Canker yeah. Sores. yeah. And make every task very difficult. Is talking hurting you? Yeah. 
Well, so I was. Thank you for sacrificing and being here. I was preaching this weekend with this. Wow. I, I thought it was a cold for the longest time, and then I told my wife, I was like, "This is just like I'm wincing every time I have to swallow." She looks at it; it's like a massive canker sore on it. She's like, "Well, that's why." Can I see it? Well, yeah, it's, this isn't great radio. It's not great, great listening talk. But right. here, here you go. Ah, oh yeah. Ah. Wow. Kind of glows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the disco ball for my throat. <laughs> That's terrible. All right. There so you have it. I've been gone the last uh, couple weeks. Yeah, we and um, No, you didn't. You didn't mention me on the podcast. I listened to them waiting to be mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. No, like nothing at all. So it's, I'd like to say it's good to be back, but. So Ezra may pop in at some point. We're not sure. So you may hear the door open and then close. But uh, if he doesn't come, that's uh, his loss, obviously. Um, So even though it's summer, we're still getting questions in. And if you have questions that you would like an attempted answer to. Oh, this is exciting. Wait, it is Ezra. Ladies and gentlemen, he's he's in the room. You found it? Just, where are you, where are you not whispering? Cause you don't need a whisper. He's not here. Ezra, say hi to the lovely people. Which which lovely people? Where well, are just look at the microphone. We're recording. Oh, hi. <laughs> so Ezra has <laughs> graced us with his presence. We're very happy for that. So Ezra, we went through all the little preliminary stuff, and uh, so we're done with the jibber jabber at the beginning. Here, I'll Found show you. I'll Andy... show you what I got. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say you should probably look at this though before we get started. Uh, oh dear. Do you see it? <laughs> What is that you're looking at? <laughs> the, he's a canker he sore on that little ball thing. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's a canker sore. Oh, dear. Right there. Yeah. Oh, that would hurt. This is what we were talking about. <laughs> this this has made riveting Pretty podcast deep. <laughs> for the last uh, six minutes and five seconds. And I do want to confirm it's called a uvula. <laughs> it's a uvula. We, we have pictures on Google to confirm it. That's a dangerous thing to Google, I feel like. <laughs> so well, are you, you're on Facebook, right? So yeah. you could post a picture we'll, we'll of your No, I don't, want, I don't want to. <laughs> really? No, that's too much information. If you have any uh, like home remedies that would help Greg get rid of that canker sore, we would love to have you send those to extra at northview.org, and Greg will try each and every one. Sure. Right? Well, yeah, here's the just, question now. Does the you have a purpose that we know of? Well, we'll work on this. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of purpose, does this podcast <laughs> have a purpose? I, I don't know. This isn't the bonus podcast, guys. <laughs> this is... Oh, what does that mean? Wow, I'm not even going to go there. Um, if you do have questions or remedies, please send them to extra at norfu.org. Um, we would love to just continue to answer whatever questions you may have on any topic, hopefully mostly biblical topics, because I'm not sure. Well, you know, Andy's an expert in pretty much anything. Everything. So he could answer almost any question you'd have. Okay, here's the first question that has come in recently. Hey, cool cats. Nice. Yeah. I I think referring to mostly Andy on that one. I was wondering if Judas partook in the Last Supper. The reason that I'm wondering this is because of the implication it could have with the oversight of the table we have now. If Judas partook and Jesus already knew that he had betrayed him, should Jesus not have stopped him from taking the bread and the wine? Any thoughts, gentlemen? That's a good question. Well... As I remember that passage, uh, doesn't Jesus say the person to whom I'm giving mm-hmm. this bread, was it, is the one who is going to betray me? 
And all the disciples, oddly enough, were still confused even by that as he gave the bread to Judas. Kind of like, what? What? <laughs> Him? Yeah. So it seems like at least he he partly partook. I, I mean, I don't know if he was there the whole time, if he, if he had the whole meal with them. He was there. He partly partook of it. I'm not... I'm not sure about the immediate application that has for the church's practice of communion, though. Um, obviously, the Last Supper and communion are are associated and they're they're linked. But the the purpose that Jesus was having communion with his disciples is different than the purpose that we we would have communion. And so, to have a direct correlation between the two and putting Jesus at fault for allowing Judas to at least partially partake, I, I just I'm not sure that's totally fair. I think that's reading back into the Last Supper or something that's mm-hmm. not being intended to to be communicated. So what we know now is that people shouldn't partake in communion in an unworthy manner, which includes a variety of things, but pr- primarily relational discord and um, and not allowing poor people in the community, less um, privileged people in the community to participate in it just because of status and that kind of stuff. So... Is there other examples in the Bible of when, like, something happened and then somebody later on gave more, like, rules to it or guidelines for it? You know, like Jesus instituted the Last Supper and then Paul had mm-hmm. some extra instructions. Is there other things like that? Maybe it was clarified more later on? Well, I mean, even Passover itself, where we get communion mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's not like it started out as Passover, it started out as what happened, right? And then that Passover was instituted as a reminder mm-hmm. of what God did. And the same thing with communion, right? It didn't start out as communion. Uh, it ultimately would lead to Jesus' death and resurrection that would ultimately be remembered mm-hmm. through communion. And it's, it's interesting. We, we've taken this, the symbols of the Last Supper as a part of our communion practice, and the likelihood of in the first church, the early church, their communion practice would have probably been a lot more uh, meal-oriented of, of actually serving a meal that would include bread and wine. But our elements are very symbolic of the Last Supper elements of having kind of just just bread and wine. Um, so even there, it's we do things that are symbolic that aren't exactly identical to what they did in the early church. We don't serve a big massive meal every time we do communion so it, the yeah the point though for the jews is is god would whenever see god would institute reminders for the jews in these different festivals or uh or ordinances like uh like the passover which were reminders to the people of what god had done and so that they were constantly remembering and and these things happen in other ways as well like uh for example um, you've got one that just slipped my brain, Hanukkah. So you got Hanukkah where uh, the remembering of the cleansing of the temple. Now, some of these things uh, the early Christians uh, did, but, but well, the Jews did, but then when, uh, when uh, they became Christians, a lot of these were then <clears throat> seen in light of Christ. Uh, a lot of the uh, the way that we remembered. So, for example, the early Christians stopped practicing Hanukkah, and different things were put in its place. And you know, Passover being one of the best examples of communion taking the place of 
Passover. So that the, my point being simply that it, what was the important part wasn't necessarily how it was practiced as much as what it was mm. uh, representing. Right. It was, it was about the remembering. So remembering in the life of a church is very important. Mm. Exactly. So how important, but that's for things that happened a long time ago. It's important to remember those, celebrate those. What about just like the life of a church? Say like the life of Northview. This is our 35th year and we're having this big debate on do we celebrate the fact that this is our 35th anniversary as a church? Do we make it a big deal or do we just, you know, serve Timbits on the way out of church and, hey, have a Timbit as a happy 35th anniversary? Hmm. They have birthday cake Timbits. Just saying. <laughs> that would help it you a little. I think, I think when, um, so North is 35 years old. Uh, or at least 35 since we, we, we launched this campus or this church was uh, founded. I think it's more remembering the faithfulness of God throughout the 35 years rather than us um, patting ourselves on the back and saying, see what we have accomplished in 35 mm. years. Mm. Yeah. So I think this, in my opinion, I think there's something to be said when the church looks back and sees the faithfulness of God. Yeah. Through the years when 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 the church began, where where it, where it started, the prayers that were said before they found this particular property where now the church sits, uh, the fact that people broke ground, God's people gave money, the building was built, and then extensions were made and extensions were made, until we sit here today debt free having paid for all our buildings, and now the Lord has granted us uh, the opportunity of going into mission, and now mm -hmm. we have a campus in mission, and now we are thinking about, okay, so what else will the Lord do in and mm -hmm. through this, this work that He began 35 years ago? So I think it's more a celebration of the faithfulness of God to this congregation rather than us and what our compliments... Oh, totally. Our accomplishments. Totally, but... But, I, and I'm not sure what the plans are, if we're going to do mm -hmm. something like that mm -hmm. or just, you know, it's just another year, it, you know, it, it's fine. I, I often wonder if we don't look back enough and celebrate mm -hmm. some of those kind mm -hmm. of milestones, exactly for what God has done, not, mm -hmm. not anything that we've done, mm -hmm. obviously, because it's important, you know, we say church history is important. Mm -hmm. So is it important for even an, a, a new Northview member to understand the mm -hmm. history of Northview, right? right? <clears throat> Somewhere they're committing to. Mm. You see, I think, I think this this uh, as we look back thirty five years ago, a lot of folk who are say charter members of this church, charter members meaning they are those who are there, the founding of this church, <coughs> and they are, they've been faithfully serving, faithfully giving, faithfully present, through and through. Those folks are probably now in their retirement. And in many cases, we say, oh, yeah, they are the ones who are in seasons now. And in our culture, we know what we say, you know, out with the old, in with the new. So we want new ideas, new fresh life, new everything. And yet we forget it's the faithfulness of those ones who are now in seasons, who were mm -hmm. there 35 years ago. We are standing on their shoulders. Yeah. The decisions they made, the sacrifices they made, yeah. the faith they had. So I think... 
we the younger generation coming coming uh, on deck now coming to our prime ministering serving and enjoying reaping we are reaping the harvest mm. of the faithfulness of those ones who have been behind, before us mm. and i think there's something something needs to be said and celebrated about the faithfulness of god in keeping those dear ones faithful mm. Mm. Uh, thus far to the extent that they are still here yeah still serving number of them are yeah yes i think there's something that needs to be said um and, and um an acknowledgement thank you lord for these dear ones and then we who are young build well because there'll be a day when 35 years from now they'll be celebrating 70 years of north yeah. ministry what will they say about our faithfulness today Mm-hmm. Well, we're only in the building we're in now because an elder board years and years ago had the foresight to pay, I think it was a million dollars, which was an unheard of amount of money for the 10 acres that this new building is on, the new parking and the field mm-hmm. and all that. And if they hadn't looked ahead and said, you know what, I think God's doing something here. We need to just make sure we're ready if growth is going to happen to be able to purchase that land. And and I yeah, I don't know how many people would even know that but there's Mm -hmm. a celebration of god causing that group of elders to go we need to look ahead here Mm -hmm. and and figure out and how god provided for the congregation at that time to to raise the money yeah to make that purchase exactly so all right i don't know how we got off onto that i think it was the timbits it must have been yeah (laughs) um so we're going to look at romans 5 12 to 21 right now um, this email is titled Logistics of Imputed Sin Slash Righteousness. In the context of Romans 5, 12 to 21, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the logic, the logic behind why and how Adam's sin was imputed onto all mankind, and also why and how Jesus' righteousness is somehow imputed onto those who believe. I believe this is true, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around why and how this makes sense. Is it simply because God said so, so that's how it happened? Is there some legal background that might help explain this? I've heard the power of attorney analogy, but I feel it's almost an explanation fitted to the scenario after the fact, not something that explains it. Could you shed some light on this? Who wants to take a go at that one? Maybe, Andrew, do you want to read that little section? With the verse, it was 512 to 21. Yeah. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Last few verses. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's the logic behind that? How can Adam's sin be imputed onto all of mankind and Jesus' righteousness uh, in the same way imputed to those who believe? I think when you look at the biblical text and you look at biblical narrative, it seems to indicate the way God, the way God seems to... I'm going back to Genesis now. So Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And so as a consequence of that, God now, in his, in his judgment over them, the penalty for his disobedience was increased uh, pain for the woman childbirth. And now that was not just specific to Eve herself, but it was now something that women from that day henceforth would experience. Man, the, the, the ground would produce thistles, and from the sweat of his brow, he will eat and enter toil. Mm. So we all struggle, every single one of us, from that day forward. We struggle um, to, to put bread on the table. So in other words, God himself structured it in such a way that the sin of Adam now has impacted the entire human race, such that not just Adam and Eve, but his offspring as well, have been tainted by sin. And the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin not just affect, did not just affect them, but affected the entire race, the entire human race. So it began there, because God himself instituted it that way. So if you sin... This is what is going to happen. But we also see we also see God doing this in multiple places as well. As you read the biblical text, you see... Even David that we're looking at exactly. right now. Yeah, even in the life of David. So with his Sid, now his child with Bathsheba dies seven days in. Mm-hmm. Um, because of David's sin, that now impacts um, the generation after him. Yeah. So and God says the sword will 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 be well how do you put that? The well, sword won't leave his house, yeah, right? Thing, like yeah. Yeah. The sword won't leave your house. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end at the end of the day, this is how God um this is how God had ordained that it would happen. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, that is the, that's the consequence that followed their sin. Enter Jesus. So now when Jesus dies on the cross, now all who believe in him, so it was, it's his righteousness, one man's righteousness now, will be credited to every single individual who by faith comes to him. So the work of Christ on the cross is now sufficient to pay for the sins of the entire human race, the same, the same way the sin of Adam and Eve Infected the entire human race. One man's sin affecting everyone. One man's atonement of that sins is sufficient to forgive everyone, but will only forgive those who embrace and accept Christ. The 
the New Testament authors are um, fixated on the idea that you can either be in the old way of life in Adam in sin and darkness or you can have new life you can be born again you can live by the spirit you can be in Christ there's this constant um, uh, dichotomy um, there's this constant two two options that you have and so we're all by nature we're all born uh, naturally into the darkness flesh Adam sin camp and so that's how everyone is a part of that because of what Adam has done he as our as our head as the the representative as the first one uh, has made it so that all of us are in the darkness sin depravity camp and if you put your faith in Christ because of his perfection and because of his sacrifice and his resurrection you can now transfer your allegiance in your life from the darkness camp into the light camp mm-hmm. from the in Adam camp to the in Christ camp and so the, it's a it's not a it's not a progression it's not a it's not a journey you're in one spot or the other you're either in Adam or you're in Christ mm-hmm. and this is the the dichotomy, I'm going to run with that word, that the New Testament authors want to set up mm-hmm. to say, listen, you can't, you, there's no in between here. Mm-hmm. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. There are those mm-hmm. who would be listening to this and feel like, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's so unfair because Adam, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve are the ones who sinned. They're the ones who sinned. So why do we have to pay for their sin? It was, they're the ones who were... were we didn't have a choice in that one. Yeah. We, we did not have a choice in that one, but herein lies the challenge now. Because we are their offspring, now who would intentionally teach a little child to lie? Sometimes my youngest daughter lies to me, sometimes. She gets in trouble, she goes and takes a little bit of sugar and licks it, and I say, honey, you're not supposed to do it, did you do that? I saw her do that, she didn't see me seeing her do that, but I'd ask her, and she has a little crumb on her face, and I say, did you do that? No, I didn't. Is it I like a cookie or like just sugar? Just, like sugar. Sugar. Oh, sugar. just straight sugar. Just straight sugar. Yeah, she's going so, right to the source. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's also awesome. so, I bother with the cookie. Yeah. So, so did I? Did, did I or her mom sit down and actually tell her, "Hey, you know, if you if you're busted doing something wrong, um, if there's a way out, take it. If 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 it means to lie, lie and get out of trouble." We didn't teach her to do this, but she does this instinctively. Now, why does she do that? No one taught her. To lie. Hmm. No one would teach their child to steal, but they just do, which Hmm. means, where did that nature come from? And again, when we go back to Genesis, we see when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, something changed. The Hebrew word for sin is a bent. Mm-hmm. And it, our nature is bent. Yeah, uh-huh. something changed the moment Toward disobedience. Exactly, to God. Mm-hmm. the moment that fruit was eaten, something changed. Yeah. in man. <clears throat> so to an- to be really specific though, to answering that question mm-hmm. of how is that sin imputed, we don't know. It's a, it's a mystery. All we know is it's imputed, and Paul uses different analogies mm-hmm. to try yeah. to explain how that's imputed, and and about how. Uh, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us as well. Yes. He uses different. He uses a variety of analogies, uh, and it's interesting because you'll read people like C.S. Lewis who'll come up with interesting ways to try to uh, think through how does that work, like this deeper magic, as Lewis would sometimes refer to. But the reality is, we we don't we don't know. Yeah, but we we'd have to say this: 
again using this word imputation like imputed imputation so through adam's sin adam and eve's sin it was imputed or or inherited mm-hmm. by all human beings or put on or put on yeah transferred yeah transferred put on now when jesus died on the cross a number of things happened first his death on the cross paid for your sin so let's let's assume that uh, you the sinner or me the sinner i owe god two million dollars to enter heaven one million is to pay for my sin but then the other million is to holiness i need holiness to enter heaven i need to be holy Mm -hmm. not just sinless Mm -hmm. sinlessness does not mean holiness So Christ died on the cross. His blood paid for my sins. But there is one thing that a lot of people forget when they're proclaiming the gospel. They forget to talk about the virgin birth. So Jesus was born of a virgin. Why is that? Why is that point important? That's what distinguishes or differentiates Christ from you and I. Because original sin... Was not he was not tainted <clears throat> with with original sin like we all are. So then the so, idea would be that the original sin is passed on through the Father. It's, it's passed on, yes. So Jesus did not have original sin as you and I do. He lived a sinless life, which is very important as well when we talk about the gospel. Why? Because a lamb without blemish needed to be sacrificed for the remission of sin. Mm-hmm. And so now Christ died on his on the cross to pay for our, for our sins, but his righteous life is now credited to us. It's now imputed to us. So the way sin was imputed to us, now the righteousness of Christ is now going to be imputed on everyone who says yes to Jesus. That's why yes, you you need to live right and obey the Bible and all that and do good works, but your good works are not sufficient to save you. Your good works will not make you righteous. It's the righteousness of Christ that is credited to your account that matters. That is what is going to get you into heaven. Not your good deeds, though your good deeds are evidence to mm-hmm. show That's that right. indeed you're a child of God. If I understand this question kind of fully, I think at the heart of it, the question is more like why. And, and so we've talked a lot about how, and I think the question is kind of why. And Paul talks a lot about this mystery is, is by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. And so I think the gospel part of, as Andy was talking about, this mystery is simply God's marvelous grace that we just can't comprehend. And I know a lot of people may, may, not, may not settle or rest with, with this kind of unknown component, yeah. right, of, well, it's just God's grace. We just can't yeah. explain it. But, but, but even, though, even though we may say, okay, we don't know, but again, look, look at your own life. Yeah. Look at your own life. Can you say that you are not a sinner? I mean, you're born mm. a rebel. And that's why mm-hmm. every child, yeah. as cute as they are, they are little rebels. They we, will do their own thing. We see it's true. We see yeah. the evidence. Yeah. We see, the evidence speaks for itself. Yeah. Every child is a rebel. In some more rebel, or more rebellious than others. And but they are. And it's interesting, you know. There's just certain parts of the story, like any story, that you. But in this story, that we're, God doesn't give us all the details, mm-hmm. and. 
does that on a, num- a number of different things that we don't see all the details and God seems to be quite okay with that and it comes down to ultimately us trusting him but so many people aren't okay with that with what well they got to know the answer right right they can't go by faith well, we're a back of the book culture yeah you know, but, but but we want to know though, how the story is going to end before but we'll even read it. though again like for those who would struggle the evidence speaks for itself in the sense that we see people are rebellious toward God. When children are born and they begin to grow up, they're rebellious toward their parents, they will do things that they ought not to do and so on. The rebellion is within us. And the scripture points back to Genesis and to the fall, Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sinned and something changed in man. Mm -hmm. And then God's judgment to them now impacts the entire human race. And people may say it's unfair. Now, is it unfair? No, it is not, because as we see generation after generation, person after person, we see people who are rebellious toward God. And therefore, God is right in saying that, no, you're all rebels, because it's evident in how you live your life. And let's take our current series to push this point even further. Because uh, ultimately, the Bible is going to say it doesn't matter who you put in that garden. You put man in that garden. He'll be rebelling. He's going to rebel. Yes. Yeah. It's not like, oh, man, if only it wasn't Adam, but it was Darcy. It was Darcy and Eve. You know, then we would have had a better chance. No, the Bible is quite clear. No, Darcy would have failed, too. I mean, we, right now we have Saul and David, right, that we were looking mm-hmm. at. And I was talking about this in, in uh, this, this Sunday. You got Saul, look good on the outside, chosen by the people, fail fell. Mm-hmm. You got David, look good on the inside, chosen by God. God even says, this is your best chance that a good king falls, fails. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that people are rebellious against God. They will all <clears throat> fail. Um, so at, at the end of the day, though, the Bible tells us, though, that we inherited this bent towards rebellion against mm-hmm. God. I think the bigger question would be, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, so how did this change actually happen? Was it a biological change? Was yeah, that's what a, I was getting at, was the mystery a, of it. Yeah, Because mm-hmm. some people have hypothesized that there's change? this what soul-making yes. machine, right? And yeah. the soul-making machine got tainted. And, yes. and so oh, wow. we're tainted because we're like this yeast, if you will, that came from this bigger yeast. Yes, exactly. So did, did the fruit introduce... Or did the sin, the, the, the fact that they say it, was, it wasn't necessarily the fruit itself. <clears throat> it was the fact that they actually disobeyed God. Right. They chose to go against what God had actually said. So what changed? Was it a psychological change? Was it a biological change? Was it a what soul was it? change? Soul change. What yeah. changed? Now, that's we, we don't know. But all we but we could say we we know that man is rebellious. Yeah. So I'd, I would say it's a nature thing, but that's the best that we can say. Right. <laughs> I like the colorful language just in, in Psalm, fitting with our, with our series right now on Dave, uh, Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And, and just one verse earlier, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I think that language is... It's born into sin. Yeah. 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 Good. Well, thank you for that question. That was a great <clears throat> question. That was a very to, good uh, question, to by discuss. the way. That's a great question. Um, I want to bring up a question um, about prayer. And it's something I've noticed and, and I've done too. Now, uh, and I noticed in our church even when, when there's prayer happening, 
many times there's people moving around, chatting. It's a good time to get up and leave and go to the bathroom because nobody will see you go because every eye is closed, every head is bowed. <laughs> um, it's the ninja escape. Prayer <laughs> time, go. What does that say um, uh, just, just about what we think about about God and that that time of you know direct communication with God where somebody's maybe praying on our behalf or whatever and and we're not respecting that time is is does that say something about us when we don't take that time as sacred do you guys want to take us to I have a lot of opinions I'm I'm sure you do I I think um, well one thing that's interesting is that we Years ago, the prayer time would would have been the time when a lot of the band members would, you know, get yeah. off the stage and transition go back. Time. Transition time, right? Because no, nobody will see him. Yeah. But that, I mean, that stopped. <clears throat> I don't know how long that stopped for, but I mean, I was involved in the weekend services this past weekend, and I noticed every time while I was in in the back as the worship team was done, I like I saw them stay until Dave was finished the prayer part, and then when he was doing the announcements, was when they got up and go. And when went and so I think which we can agree is not near as important. <laughs> no, exactly, <laughs> totally. So I mean, I, I think there there's a, a growing sense of um, a level of appropriateness when people are praying what what we do during that time, yeah. and we've even tried to make some correctives in our own service to actually demonstrate physically what we believe mm-hmm. mentally and theoretically about the importance of prayer. So. We're making steps, and yet we're still far ways away. So, Ezra, you can answer the actual. This is like lobbying a prayer. slow pitch ball to Ezzy talking about prayer. So. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Andy? Oh no, I wasn't gonna. I'm just gonna say, with you being in the prayer and discipleship role, uh, are you still? Is that still your title? Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know if that, that title now is to Kyle. Meeker. We have a mission campus. We have a mission campus now, Andy. Right. Right. So. <laughs> I just wasn't sure if they changed because because he still leads our prayer times, which yes, I find yeah. amusing. Now, when yeah. are they gonna switch out over to Kyle? At any rate, so I'm sure you've got an opinion on this. Is what no, I was getting at. I think, um, like, <laughs> like Greg said. Um, in years gone by, and in, even in many settings, the prayer time in mi- mid-service prayer time is often used as a transition time, and it's pretty much just logistically. You know, it, it works great so that when the prayer is finished, you're ready for the next thing, that kind of thing. Uh, there are people who would argue both sides to say, "Okay, look, the entire wash, the entire service mm-hmm. time." is dedicated to the worship of the living God. Right. So, so communication when, Yeah, so God is being worshipped and honored and glorified <clears throat> and exalted from the moment you began the first song, and that will continue until the end. So even when you pause in the middle for a prayer, it doesn't mean that, okay, now this is the time we're only talking to yeah. God, and then after that, now we are on our own kind of thing. No, they're saying this is a family time, and God is being honored, honored, honored through, the, through, the, through the singing, the songs we're singing. Those songs are prayers. Just read the, 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 the lyrics of the songs. They're prayers. They are, we are talking to him directly mm-hmm. in our music. We're talking to him when we, when we preach. We are talking to him when we mm-hmm. pray and all that. So the whole thing. So the others will argue that. Others will say, actually, you know, it shows disrespect. The fact that we are here to honor the living God. We would never do that when we are standing in front of royalty. Um, when we are having a conversation with him or her, we would not behave the way we do when we come to church. We are more casual 
when we're worshiping God that we do if we are standing in front of an important individual. Mm. I think... I think Jeff would insert Jeff Buck number. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think uh, to this issue, I'd go back to the motive of your heart, the motive of the heart here. The bigger question is, when you come to a weekend service, are you have you prepared beforehand to engage mm. such that talking to God is not just limited to the one minute, two minute prayer that he said mm. during, just before the offering is taken or whatever, but you're engaging God mm. through the singing. You're engaging God through hearing a testimony of a missionary who came. You're engaging God through seeing kids being given Bibles in the middle of the service. You're engaging mm. God in the preaching of the word as you're hearing him speak to you and you're asking questions in your mind as you're engaging the text. So the entire worship service, from the time it starts until the benediction is said, that, mm -hmm. the whole thing, God is being engaged and you're engaged in worshiping him. Mm -hmm. That for me is the big issue, the big question. Now, obviously, we could say, logistically, we can do better. Let's, let's quit moving around when, when we're praying to God. Let's, let's show some reverence mm -hmm. when we come to worship. But I'd also say, it's not just when we pray, but I'm also going to say when we sing, how we sing, whether the worship leader is a great worship leader or not. The issue is not That's how irrelevant. That is irrelevant. The question yeah. is, are you worshiping God. Mm. You know, the challenge that I always <clears throat> see before me is on the one hand, God is my heavenly father and there's this freedom in my relationship with him and as there is with my relationship with family, right? Mm. That that I you have this sense that with family, you, uh, you don't have to put on a, a show, if you will, of, mm -hmm. of always being in this like respectful mode, right? That mm -hmm. you can just be more relaxed. But then at the same time, he's the king of kings, right? And he's, he's my Lord, and he's God. Yeah. And so there, it seems to me that in the, Christ, the life of a Christian, there's this constant balancing act that's taking place where I'm, re where I'm recognizing those two things, that I'm in this intimate relationship with God where I get the privilege of calling him Father, yet at the same time, mm -hmm. he's God. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, those take different challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best, uh, just to add on to what you said, Andy, it's like my relationship with my kids. I love my kids. We play, we wrestle, we tickle each other, we do all these kinds of things, but I'm still their dad. That's right. So they're comfortable with me, but I'm not their power. Because there are certain lines when they're crossed, actually, we are no longer laughing. Hmm. It's, you're grounded for doing this, or you're, you'd have to face the consequences for doing that. So I'm the disciplinarian, but at mm -hmm. the same time, I'm a loving father. So I think with God, it's that same dance as well, where he's our loving father and all that, but let's not get too casual with him mm -hmm. to the point where we disrespect him or we don't worship him rightly because God is very particular. Yeah. If you read the Bible, either Old Testament, New Testament, God is very particular with how he will be worshipped. Mm. So you don't enter into his presence ill-prepared. Do you know, you know one that's always... Uh, been interesting to me is so my mom calls me every so often or I'll call my mom and we'll have these conversations you know and I love my mom uh, Mama Steiger and at the end of the conversation I'll hear the toilet flush in the background <laughs> and uh, you know there'll just be total silence I'm like 
Mom? <laughs> Mom, were you doing what I think you were doing while we had that conversation? And, you know, and, and sheepishly, she would say yes and be like, Mom, you know we've talked about this. Right? <laughs> that you're... Does she listen to this podcast? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times I talked to my mom about it. I'm like, Mom, I love talking with you, but there, just there's certain times that when we talk, you know, I, I don't want to be talking to you when you're Sometimes you can be too efficient. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, but that, that's one of those challenges, right? Like when... when is it appropriate um, for for me to even have a conversation with God, and and mm-hmm. am I giving Him my full attention? And what kind of things should I be or shouldn't I be doing um, when I'm either reading His Word or even just in prayer mm-hmm. that is appropriate and inappropriate? Mm-hmm. I the the reason this question came to me is that I, I've actually been thinking about this a little bit, and I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking here. But um, I've I've done it, and I've been in prayer times where other people have done it. Obviously, when we're praying, we're, we're praying to the Lord, but sometimes we're also praying to encourage the person we're maybe praying mm-hmm. for. But what about when I'm when I'm praying and I, I just, I want to kind of make everybody laugh. And so I throw in a part of my prayer that, you know, maybe mocks somebody a little bit or whatever. Jeff, I'm did, not that, Jeff did that today, actually. Well, that, that's what brought it to mind again. <laughs> he threw Detenzer like, under, the br- under the bus in his prayer. Like, because at that point, I'm, I, I'm no longer actually praying to God because I'm wanting you guys to laugh. Mm-hmm. And so my focus is totally shifted. And then I can go back right away back to God because I got my laugh and I feel good about myself mm-hmm. now. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad or right or wrong. I think, I, I think that's part of the, that part of that tension that we were talking about, right? Of, of the mix of the, of the, boldness and uh the humility and the and the boldness in in prayer and the the casualness and the formalcy of prayer Mm -hmm. right and so in the same way that if i'm talking to people and darcy's around and i want to poke fun at darcy it can be both formal and informal people do this in preaching all the time right where preaching is a pretty formal act or you're declaring god's word and yet we'll talk about things that we know are are funny and they're more casual and and that's okay. So I I, I there's a purpose in that to kind of draw people back or make an illustration or like it it kind of fits still in where you're going. Again, it depends on who you talk to. Because there'll be people who will argue and say, actually, when you're preaching, oh, yeah. you are declaring the word of the living God. How so dare no humor, you? No. How da- how dare you mm-hmm. bring such a joke? Well, not even just not yeah. even just humor, but illustrations. Right. Yes. Right. Like to to do something illustrative is to oh is to nice. do, is to do well, something. We should stop right now because we've what? come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's to damage the right. the act of, or of declaring God's word, right? Yes. And so. So I mean, it might it won't, won't surprise anyone to learn that I'm probably lean more on the casual side of everything. You're, you life. and your blue blazer. <laughs> the blue blazer is about the most formal I get. But the I, I, so I I would lean towards my my conscience tells me that there, there's an element that that's healthy about a casualness in our in our spiritual life, not a not a flippancy. Right, but that's not an indication of your reverence for God. No, I don't think so. Right, I, right. I think it's an indication of how we're of how we're made to be people to enjoy the goodness of creation, and part of enjoyment, I think, comes through 
the I don't know I, the, the casualness of it. Well, I the, think there's the a, reality is there's a tension though, right? Yeah. Because people tend to want to be legalistic, so people want to tend to want to go oh, the extreme, right? Mm-hmm. One way or the other. So on the one stream is total legalism, come to church and suit and tie, and anything other is just sinful. You know, and then the other side where it's shorts, flip-flops, and a tank top. and uh, So I shouldn't have worn that preaching this weekend. Absolutely not. See, I think... So it's a challenge. I think God created each one of us <laughs> with various temperaments, personalities, and so on. And I think as we engage fully in mm-hmm. our communication with Him, we engage Him with all our being, with mm-hmm. all we are. So with our temperaments, with our personalities... And so on. And it'll boil down to style. There are people who mm-hmm. would be more serious and more stoic. <clears throat> so they would want, no, just give me the straight goods, blah, cut and dry, boom. And then there are those who would like laughter and comedy and casualty and all, all the rest of it, which is fine. I think the bottom line would be, like Andy and, and Greg have been saying and we've been saying here, are you, is there a reverence for God? Mm-hmm. Regardless of your personality, regardless of your temperament, is there a reverence for God where you realize that, hey, he's not your buddy. He's the creator of heaven and earth who will judge the living and the dead. Uh, do you realize that, that that's who he is? But also he's a loving father, mm-hmm. a gracious savior and Lord who loves you and cares about you and cares about every single detail of your life. He does. Because he sent his only begotten son to die for you. So at the end of the day, it all boils down to, is there a reverent fear for him? Where you engage him with all of you. With the jokey side of you and with the serious side of you and everything in between. Because you're worshipping with him with all of you. All mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine last year, it was during, during Lent where a lot of people typically give up maybe media or a certain type of food or whatever. And so for his Lent, he decided that his posture of prayer, this is something he had been convicted of in weeks prior leading up to it. And so he decided that for Lent, he was going to really, really stretch himself in his posture of prayer. Um, and I think it was a particular book he was reading that kind of helped helped him convict him of this. But what he decided to do was prayer was becoming kind of a, a relaxing act. So he would, you know, with the lights off or whatever before bed, pray and I, there's nothing wrong with that, but what was happening for him routinely, prayer was just becoming too relaxing, too casual. And so for those 40 days, uh, he he purposely exercised a more reverent, more more difficult, less pleasant posture, like a physical posture where he was either kneeling or prostrate or um, praying to God, approaching God that way. And so I thought that was that was really interesting to have for him for him to actually recognize that, and then to. Uh, yeah, be convicted and then act upon that to have a, have a strong theology of prayer. Mm. Um, Northview, though, we have, going back to what we talked about, the, the prayer time, bringing this together, I, I, I'm wondering if this is probably a good time to plug some of our prayer mm-hmm. initiatives, right? So what all do we have? I mean, we have a prayer day, like, okay, so we are recording this podcast on a Tuesday, uh, on a Tuesday mid-morning, um, or late morning, and... Uh, it happens the once first, a month, right? The first Tuesday yeah. of every month. The first Tuesday of every month. Seven to seven. Seven to seven, we open our sanctuary for everyone. Who What's so funny, Greg? No, he's, he's filling in the blanks. <laughs> I know. Um, I like it. For, he's not getting to the details you want fast enough. <laughs> exactly. For anyone who 
Um, I, I think we all have uh, members of our families who are not mm. Christians. We are very specific. We're saying members of a family who are not Christian. Want to pray that the Lord would have mercy toward them and open their eyes that they may see the beauty of the gospel and come to saving faith. Mm. So we want to open our, we are opening, we've been opening our sanctuary and saying, come and stay for as long as your schedule will allow you to pray for unsafe family members and friends. So that is one area, mm-hmm. that one, one option. The other would be, we have Pray First. Pray First is um, just a church-wide prayer, uh, prayer meeting that happens every Monday. Every single Monday, with the exception of Mondays that are start holidays. If a start falls on a Monday, then obviously the church is closed, so we will not have Pray First. But if it's not a start, then you can count on it here at Downs Road, there'll be a prayer meeting gathering gathered at uh, our prayer room mm-hmm. um, here at Northview. So you can come to that. From September to June, we have um, September to June we have a Tuesday morning prayer. So for those who can't come to pray first from seven to eight thirty on Monday nights, they can come Tuesday morning from six to seven in the morning mm-hmm. here at the church, and we have prayer happens at center court Mm -hmm. we also have every other tuesday so the first and the third tuesday of every month we have prayer for purity so obviously we know that we live in a sexually charged Mm -hmm. uh, society and so one of the things that we say hey we want sexual purity sexual purity but it's one thing to to speak about it but god would be the one to help us overcome Mm -hmm. the sexually charged culture that we live in so we want to pray for purity among our men young women husbands wives mm-hmm. kids growing up that kind of thing there's a lot of sexual dysfunction i don't need to say much regarding that we all know what those things are so we want to pray toward that end we also had uh i think through the year september to june we we had uh, prayer walks uh, on saturday mornings where there's a small team of people who would meet and they would walk around Abbotsford, started on one end of Abbotsford, mm-hmm. going to the other end of Abbotsford, praying uh, for this city, praying for our schools, praying for our neighborhoods, praying for all sorts of things. So, I mean, those are just a few things. Yeah. Uh, finally, I'd like also to mention the elders meet once mm-hmm. a month, once a month uh, from, I'd say, August all the way to June, because we take July off. And the elders at the elders meeting, before we jump into our business, we have time when we pray for our congregants. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a need and you want the elders to pray for you and anoint you with oil, you're welcome to come to our elders uh, meeting before we begin. How do you know when, where and how? I would suggest email the church or phone the church. And um, website too. And the website, you will find all the information regarding the time you can come, where the meeting will be, and all that. And you can come. You, your loved one, would love the elders would love to pray for you, anoint you with oil, and um, bring the issues that you have before the Lord. So, long answer to a short question. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you uh, all so much for being here. And again, if you have any questions, questions, please send them to extra at norfu.org. And we're going to let Andy close out this podcast using the word illustrative. Hey, guys. This this has been a very illustrative uh, time to uh, see how we can be more effective in our prayers. (laughs) Well, that's as good as it gets. (laughs)